Hi, Nick Vince here, and welcome to The Chattering Hour with my guest, award-winning writer, producer, and director, Kevin Lewis. Over the past two decades, Kevin has worked with an amazing roster of stars such as Sean Patrick Flannery, Robert Forster, Nicolas Cage, Meg Foster, and Mina Savari. We talk about those and much more up next on The Chattering Hour with Kevin Lewis. And we're back with my special guest, Kevin Lewis. Last year, Kevin released Willie's Wonderland, which starred Nicolas Cage, and it's just a fun horror movie. We talk about that and the film he's just finished filming with Meg Foster, The Accursed. So let's get to it. Were you born in Denver, Colorado, or just brought up there? No, actually, I I was born in the Philippines um, on Clark Air Force Base. I was the first American baby to be born there. Uh, My dad was serving in the uh, Army. So for the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. right. Uh, yes, you, you're like me. You were born outside the country. I was born in Germany. I'm in oh. London. I grew up in England, but uh, yeah, I was born in Germany. Uh, similar reasons, RAF. Yeah. yeah. How long did you stay over there or did you? Um, for about a year or so. And then we moved and then we moved to Colorado. So right. about when I was uh, two. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what was an average day for, like for you as a kid? What do you, what sort of thing did you get up to? I mean, I, I love comic books, you know, and cartoons and, um, I was always into fantasy and, and stories and fiction since I was a little boy, you know? So <laughs> what comics were you reading? I love Spider-Man. He was my favorite. So I was a Marvel kid. Um, and I loved, uh, also the horror comics, you know, um, all the eerie, you know, magazines and things like that. I mean, just, I loved all that. I, I love the artists. I love Frank Frazetta. Even when I was a little, you know, little kid, I just, uh, marveled at his artwork. And, um, I loved, uh, John Carter Mars and the Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan, you know, um, all that stuff. Even when I was really small, I just, the uh, the artwork captivated me, you know, um, and then, of course, I loved the Spider-Man cartoon, the 60s trippy Spider-Man cartoon. It was great. I think Ralph Bakshi did some of the animation in it. Um, it was great. Yeah. 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 That, that, that is always, that, yeah, that is a great deal of fun. So did, were you watching films as a kid or? Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as most kids, you know, growing up in the eighties, when I was born in, in the seventies, I, I, you know, Jaws and Star Wars, but really it was Star Wars. I was six and I saw that in the theater for my first time. And of course it just changed my life. Like so many others, you know, and you know, it's funny Star Wars, I thought was like handed down by God. I thought like it just was became, it was just here it is. Right. And um, I never really understood the making of it from behind the scenes and stuff when I really started getting into movies was like when I saw Raiders lost Ark and I realized what a director did, you know, with Spielberg and the cutting and the framing and the pacing and, and things like that. That's when I really started realizing behind the scenes on how to make, start making movies, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, star Wars and some of the horror movies of the seventies. I remember burnt offerings was one of my, it scared the living Jesus out of me as a little kid. I mean, it was a TV movie, but um, it was just, uh, I was captivated by that. Of course, The Omen, The Exorcist, all those great films, you know. Right, right, right. And so was that your kind of inspiration for becoming a film director? Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I've always loved stories. And I think of the idea of to... So things happened to me in my life. You know, my dad, my dad left, you know, when I was younger and my, my mom got in this car accident. She got in this hit and run car accident, lost her face, wiped clean off, lost her left eye. Um, yeah, man made built face. She's had over 60 some surgery. She's going to be 91 in January. She lives with me now with my family. And so things like that, Nick, I think not be able to control what happens to you as a kid, these traumatic experiences, made me want to control what happens in a story and made me want to write and and direct and and 
these characters live or die and he's doing these adventures and this and that. So I think that had a lot to do with it, you know, and I could have probably gone into, you know, down the road, maybe, you know, gone into some things that were very negative for me, i.e. drugs or things like that. But I always stuck to fiction, comic books, stories, movies. Those were my escapism. That was my holy church. If you would, if you say, you know, I would just go and I would lose myself. And, um, and so those stories and characters and things helped me, I think just, you know, get through life, you know, and, and it, I had to grow up fast because when my mom got in that car accident, things like that, I became the man of the house. And, uh, and so, but yes, I've always been in fiction. I, I wrote a sequel called destiny of the Jedi in of for star Wars before return of the Jedi came out. I remember in like fifth grade, you know, and it's just that always just writing and, and reading and um, going, making home movies on super eight cameras. And then of course, VHS cameras down the road, I was just my passion. You know, I would always take my action figures and fly them into my mom's plants and act like they were planets, you know, and just, uh, I just, you know, it's just, I just love it. You know, I always loved it, you know, so. Right. What were some of your earliest film, you know, homemade films in that case? Oh gosh. Um, we did, um, did little horror, horror movies. I did a thing on Montana Monty. It was like an Indiana Jones type thing. Um, it's kind of cool. We, we did, uh, as I got a little older, we did a movie called <clears throat> Real World, R-E-E-L World. And it was like a take on after hours, kind of like this guy gets spun into this movie. And it was cool. And we we uh, had a party at the house and charged admission. And I had like the cartoons and the, you know, let's go to the lobby in front of it. And we had all these people come and that was pretty cool. You know, that was, that was fun. All going with my friends and going around Denver, just shooting and stuff like that. And just, it was, it was great. Creating. How, how old were you then? Um, I was, that, that was when I was like nearing a high school. When I was younger, we would go out with a super eight camera and do uh, all kinds of movies, a stuffed animal. I would take stuffed animals and have them coming to life and things like that in the basement and just, just all experimental stuff, you know, um, just, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. Stop motion things, you know, um, love stop motion animation, you know. That takes, I mean, stop motion animation takes a lot of patience. Was that something that you regard as one of your strengths? Or, You know what's funny? Um, I don't feel I have a lot of patience in my personal life sometimes. Um, actually, as you get older, you, you learn that you've got to realize you have to surrender yourself. And it's like, yes. Um, but when it comes to filmmaking, I do. You know, it's funny because I'm not a detailed oriented person either. My wife will tell you that, you know, but when it comes to filmmaking, I am, you know, so it's like all of that. I, it's just, when it comes to making movies and stories and things, I pour 110% of everything I have, you know? Right. Um, and it is, it's like, you are acting like another character too, as a director, right? Because it's like, you're living with this movie for, or story for a while, then you're gone, you're on to the next thing and things like that. So it kind of consumes you just like when you hear actors say, oh, that part, you know, kind of consumed me. And I was doing that. I, I totally understand because the project is, you know, you got to do it for me for the love of it. It's just too hard. It takes a bit of piece of your soul, every film you make, in my opinion, if you really care. You know, um, I'm not a guy that just goes out and wants to shoot something and just, you know, I know it's craft. I get it. It is craft. But I definitely think, you know, there's there's an artistic merit to it. I know that art is things that I think that stand the test of time. It's really what it really art is. If we're talking about something 10 years from now or 20 Hellraiser art. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, still talking about it. Still huge. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but then there's also I understand craft and I understand that there's people in it to make them make money and things like that. But I'm not, I, I love making movies. I love telling stories. I love taking people and putting them on, on adventures and lo- losing themselves. Like I did as a, as a kid, you know, and for me, if there's a kid out there to see one of my films, like Willie's Wonderland or this movie I'm working on now that makes them want to make movies. That to me is the ultimate gift and treasure, you know? Right. 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 So how did these films that you were making, um, when you're in your teens, um, lead to uh, going to University of South California. So that's cool. I I, I made a film and I, I got a scholarship uh, from uh, KCNC, which is like the NBC affiliate in, in Colorado and Denver. And so I got a scholarship and then I, I got into USC and that and uh, showed them the film I did. And, and, uh, and so I went in and I started making smaller movies at SC and the film school and stuff like that. And, 
actually really cool story is I, I made a short film uh, called Face the Music. It was like a, a riff on Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And the lab messed up my film. That was Super 16 uh, for my student project. And I was interning for John McTiernan and, and Donna Dubrow at the time. And um, anyways, they for they were amazing. You know, Donna, she, she wrote me a check and I went and remade that film from scratch hired brought everybody back from you know school and the actors and rehearsed and whatever and that nick that was taxing you know can you imagine doing something pouring everything you have and then it just comes out and then you go back and you redo everything and uh but that again patience and that really taught me a lot you know that it's like you want something you just have you have to go for it you have to pour 110 percent. you know so um so that was pretty cool i basically did that movie twice but um uh, so yeah, I just my little films. I wrote essays, and uh, uh, I loved SC. You know, I had a great time at, at, at that school. Met a lot of great people and friends, and um, they were just very uh, supportive with you know going out and, and 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 you know having your voice heard. You know, yeah, there's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? Having your voice heard. Do you? I suppose I want to drill down on that a little bit because I know what that means to me. Cause I remember I gave up acting after I'd done Nightbreed because I wanted to take up writing because I, I remember telling my agent at the time, I want my voice to be heard. What does it mean to you in terms of having your voice heard? You know, I just think it's kind of write what you know and, 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 and create what, you know, and, and, and so, you know, and I told my daughter this, cause my daughter's into writing and, and photography and things. And I said, you know, Caitlin, write, you know, write, write what, you know, do what, you know, come from where you, you come from, because that to me is the honest, honest truth. Yes. You can make a horror story. You can make it fictional and all this, but if you can take elements like this film that I'm working on right now, I took elements. I'm taking care of my mother. She's going to be 91. I'm taking elements of that and I'm, and I'm heightening it. I'm taking distorting maybe reality on it, but I'm writing, I'm directing, I'm making this movie. What I know, I know there's these things, you know, and, and so to get to the truth of it, to make it honest, you know, and that, that's what I'm very excited about this film that I'm doing because I feel like it's a throwback to the seventies of the Rosemary's babies and the changeling where horror movies were very grounded, you know, and it was scary. That, that to me is what real horror is, right? It's like the truth is scary, you know, and yes, you could do phantasmic worlds and the effects and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the human heart and it's the human mind. And um, so that that's what makes me excited. And my first movie was kind of a drama, a little bit of action. It was really a drama. And I like the, I like the human condition. I'm fascinated by it. I just I loved always psychology and what makes people tick and why they say things, you know, um, what, what makes them do the things they do, you know. Um, and my feeling is for us as humans, it's like, why are we here on this planet at the end of the day? why are we here? What does my, my, what is my purpose? You know? Um, so yeah, allowing your voice to be heard has all that wrapped up into it. Right. So you take the, your honest, you know, your, your, your life and, and, and the truth and yeah, it's okay. You can wrap it up into something again. Fantastic. I mean, Edward Scissorhands is a great example, right? I mean, that's a, that's a movie. Okay. Guy has, you know, I heard, I remember hearing the pitch for it and I was like, Oh my gosh, Tim Burton directing a boy with scissors for hand, how, what, you know, but then you realize it's, it's about, you know, isolation and you know, how we all feel as a kid, you know, like maybe the, the kid who gets uh, picked on at school or doesn't have many friends is the outcast because Tim Burton, that's his themes runs through his movies right the outcast and so you have that and tim burton felt that you know when you read up about his background and how he felt he had to move to suburbia and things like that and he was the the weird kid you know and that's what edward scissorhands is about right the weird kid you know so um that's what i think is what's fascinating and what great movies and great art is it, it really touches the human soul you know so yeah well thank you very much for that because that's a really great explanation as to why that phrase, write what you know, well, write yeah. what you know, can actually yeah. be taken the wrong way in yeah. that it's, you know, if you are a pastry chef or whatever, you can only write about being a pastry chef. And that's not what that phrase is talking about. It doesn't yeah. mean write about your your every day to day. It means yeah. about your understanding. Yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. And you mentioned your first film. So this is The Method. 
Yes. How, how did that come about? Because you co-wrote and directed that. Yes. So I came up with the idea. It was like two in the morning and it just hit me the whole story. And um, again, I love dramas, you know, and um, I just, the, the idea of actors putting on a play about a bank robbery and to get into character, they go rob a bank. Now you have to remember that was the time when Quentin Tarantino burst on the scene. So everybody's doing these Quentin Tarantino kind of, I don't say rip offs, but maybe homage or whatever, but they're all these different movies. And so what happened was this film that I had, everybody started trying to steer it towards that. And it really never was, you know? Um, and it was more of just this drama about kids. You know, I was in college and that's what it was going about. Again, write what you know about the things in college and what you're dealing with and, and going out on, on to the, to the world on your own and things like that. So, um, but it was really cool. I, I wrote that script and uh, Sean Patrick Flannery, you know, he, he read it and he was doing young indie at the time. And, he wanted to do it. He really helped out. God bless him. He really helped my career on that, you know, because um, you know, he signed on to that movie. We got other people. And I shot that movie in like 12 days on, on 35 millimeter. Panavision gave us a camera for free. Uh, Disney gave us post-production. It was big borrow and stole, man, on that movie, you know. Um, but uh, it taught me a lot. And we went to Slam Dance that year, uh, that, that following year. Um, so, yeah. Right. For those people who don't know, can perhaps you explain a little about what Slam Dance is and what that? Well, slam Dance is a kind of an offshoot of Sundance, and um, uh, it was started basically with movies that didn't get into Sundance. These, these guys created Slam Dance, and what was interesting was uh, that year it was the Day Trippers came out, and Soderbergh came. And he premiered Day Trippers there because I, I believe Day Trippers was, did not get accepted to Sundance, and so he. So he puts kind of slam dance on the map because he was the Sundance kid and he shows up now at slam dance and, and shows his movie, you know? So that was really great times. They had a movie called low ball there. Um, so many interesting films that, that year. And I believe the following year, Christopher Nolan's the following was there and swingers or swingers got picked up that year. Didn't make slam dance. I don't know, but there's something there. Um, but you know, slam dance, so many great movies have come out of slam dance, but, um, that, I think that was like the second year it was out. So, right, 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 right. Cool. So then you went on to do downward angel. Can you tell me a little about that? So I made this movie was like a cool little action movie. Uh, Matt Schultz, who was an unknown at the time. And what was cool about that was when I, when I was cutting it, we cut a promo together for him because he was testing for Fast and Furious and he showed them and he, I guess he auditioned for that and he got the part, which is great. Um, and so he went on to a really good career. Uh, but we, we, yeah, we did Downward Angel. Uh, we sold it to Blockbuster Video at the time. It was kind of cool. A Hollywood Reporter came out with the Killer Bees and I like this William Hurt Contaminated Man poster behind the owner, the CEO of Blockbuster and had my movie Downward Angel, you know, and they bought it outright and, put in the stores and stuff like that. And that was pretty cool, you know, at the time because Blockbuster was the thing, right? So um, that was a lot of fun. Worked with Jonathan Banks, um, amazing, you know, and so happy to see him with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and people really seeing his his talent. And he was great on that movie. And it's just a, it was a fun action movie. I had a good time doing it. Um, at that time, again, it was, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, like action movies were really popular there, right? Everybody, the foreign markets wanted action, everything, action, 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 you know? So we kind of, that's what we kind of did, you know? What, because you talked about the importance of human beings and human beings telling stories, et cetera. So how do you translate that into action? Is there a, well, yeah, I mean, that movie was about a man, a man to me who was trying to find his place in the world. He was trying to figure it out. So, yes, he was an assassin. Again, he's, he's wrapped up in that thing. That's the dressing, right? That's kind mm. of the, the ornaments, but what's the, it's the ornaments on the tree, but what's the real tree? The tree is the, the foundation, right? The foundation is he's a guy who's trying to find his place in the world, and he, he does it, he's kind of questioning himself. He's, he's talking, uh, he's a religious man. He's figuring out why is he doing this, you know? So that to me was interesting. That's what drove me to make that movie. Just like with the method about guys, you know, trying to be somebody they're not, you know, and letting rage and anger take control of them and living in a fantasy world because they are, they were, they were doing plays about this bank robbery and things like that. And they 
kind of gotten a character and things like that, like the movies, but it didn't turn out like the movies, right? There's real life and death tragedy. So, um, so yeah, those, those are the themes that really resonated with me in making those films. Right, right, right. What do you find most challenging about directing? If you look back at some of your films, what do you... Um, you well, you know, I, I believe the directors, he, you know, he's the captain of the ship. She, he, she's the captain of the ship. The idea of everybody pushing towards a vision and he's trying to, they're trying to get everybody to get on that boat to, to cruise to that vision. Right. And so you have to be, I say a salesman, but you have to get people to believe in what you're trying to achieve. Right. And so that for me, cause I feel if you're passionate and you really care about something that, that comes Technical, you know, if you get the right people around you and the and the right people. For me, I mean, honestly, being an artist in this day and age, um, or a filmmaker, and also a businessman, you know, doing independent films and knowing how these movies work and who makes the money, because Nick, I've done so many movies that the producers, the either you know, they got ripped off or they they ripped it off. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it all on a lot of these things, you know, and that's probably the hardest thing is art and commerce. You know, uh, yeah. they, they, they have to, you know, it's the movie business. It's a business. And, and anyone tells you it's not that they're, they're lying because that's really what it is. And kind of seeing people's really true selves of like who they are. It's like, Oh, well, I, I thought they were really into this, but really it's just about the money or the fame or the, this or that, you know? So um, I think one of the hardest things for me too. Um, and I had this, one of my first movies, I feel like, it's really odd, you know, because you, I'm sure you feel this a lot. It's like when you make a film, it's like you're a family and you go through this family experience and you just, and you love these people. Right. And it's like, and then it's over and then everyone goes off and does their thing and you may see them. You may not, you may talk. I find that hard. It's, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm a very sentimental guy. Um, and um, I'm a nostalgic kind of guy. And I always said, if I could take a chip out of my brain, I, I feel like sometimes I wish I could take the nostalgia out because I agree. Sometimes you get mired in the past and then you're not working in the present and definitely not the future. And so I get kind of sometimes mired in the past. I'll pick up a comic book and I'll be like, oh, I was 10. And I remember reading this at the 7-Eleven and blah, 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 blah. And on my mind, right. And it's like, man, live now, live now, you know, so so that that's kind of tough for me. You work with great people and you do this wonderful thing together. It's like, you know, putting up a, it's like the Amish, you know, and they, would they help each other build a home? You know, that's kind of what it is. Right. And then you go off and you go your separate ways. You do. And it's just like, wow, you know, we did this and we did this amazing thing, which is great. And you're so connected with these people. And it's, and that's why, you know, Separating the emotion out of filmmaking is very hard. I don't, it, you know, like I said, it's, it is business, but it's very, it's, it's that tug of war, man, you know, cause you read a script or you write a script. It's like, Oh, I, just, I love this. I'll do anything for this. And it's like, people read that on, see that on you. And they're like, Oh, I could take advantage of him or her. I can do this to them. I can do that. That's difficult. That is difficult. And, um, you know, having, and, you know, getting back to the kid in you of why you want to make movies and why, you know, one of my most thrilling things was I made Willie's Wonderland and my kids, I've got four, but two of them are in high school and I got two, I don't have two little boys who are five and seven, but the two in high school, they had like a watch party because it was during COVID with their friends. It was like 30 people online. They were watching the movie and Nick, that was so exciting for me because yes, we weren't in the movie theater and we, you know, couldn't do as COVID or whatever, but they were there and they were with their friends and they were all enjoying the experience. And that was like, that's why I want to make movies. And that's why I want to make fun movies and horror movies and genre movies, exciting movies because of that. When I saw that, it was like, yes, I'm doing the right, I'm doing it. I'm doing the right thing. So, right, right. Okay. Well, let, let take you back a, uh, a I'm bit. sorry I'm jumping everywhere no 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 <laughs> that's usually my job I usually jump yeah. around all over the place dark heart 2006 now yeah I not had a chance to watch it but yeah. looking at the trailer and reading about it it looks very intense what was the inspiration for this 
So Dark Heart is really who I am. I, I'm a guy who, again, I love the drama. And Dark Heart is an ode to like the Sam Peckinpah movies of the past, you know, a very grounded film. You know, I, it's funny. I did a film, and this is kind of a really cool story. Um, I did a movie called Malibu Spring Break. It was for Crown International. And they did all the TNA movies back in the 80s, my tutor and things like that. And uh, I, I wrote it like in a two days. I shot it in nine. I mean, it was, you know, but it was a gig. And, you know, like to me, it's like, hey, you, you, you learn every time you make a film and whatever. And what's cool about that is everyone, you can look at Malibu. Oh, I remember I had an agent at the time. So you can't do Malibu Spring Break. You can't do these movies. What you pass on defines your career. And But when I made that movie, there was an actor named Jeremy D Daniel Davis and uh, he he was uh, uh, he got a little part, and I talked to him. I said, "Hey, I'm going to promise you we're going to do a uh, improv for one of your scenes." And I was running behind schedule, like you always do, nine days, right? And I said, "Nope, we're going to do." And he's like, "No, we don't have to do it." And the producers were, "Hurry up, hurry up!" I was like, "No, no, we're going to do your part. We're going to do your part." And we did. And it was fun. We got that done. And he never forgot that. And so he is the producer of Willie's Wonderland. And he is the one that brought me the script because he remembered, I, he said that act of kindness that I did or whatever. I told him, I gave him my word and we would do it. And we did. And I made Willie's Wonderland. I would never have done Willie's Wonderland without Malibu spring break. And that is just crazy to think. Right. And I've got right. my son telling me you did a soft core porn and uh, you know, all my friends, uh, it's like, no guy, no, 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 no son. Th these are TNA movies back in the day. You know, they were eighties TNA movies, you know, now it's a whole different ball game, you know, but it was a light movie. So back to dark heart, dark heart was kind of me going, shedding that skin because Malibu spring break is not me. I did it as a gig. I, I admit it, you know, um, I'm sorry. You know, I, I had to make money. I had a little, I had my son, he, you know, it's like, I got offered the job. I took it. Dark Heart was a personal project for me because I was like, this is who I really am. And so Dark Heart is a movie about, you know, my, my, like I said, my dad was in, in the military. He was a, a Lieutenant Colonel, uh, special forces, green beret. And the movie's just about a guy who comes back from Iraq at that time we were going at war and, uh, the Saddam Hussein and the idea of him finding gold in Saddam Hussein's caves and guys overhear it and they're desperate, you know, um, and it speaks a lot of what's happening in America. And uh, they, they, they take him and they, they, they basically hijack him, jump him at night and take him and, and, and try to torture him to find out where the money is. And through that experience, they, you know, you start finding the dark side of the, of the human soul. Um, anyways, that, that movie was, I'm very proud of that movie. It went to a lot of film festivals. Um, some of the actors won some awards, went to smaller film festivals, but it was, a, it was a small little movie. I did that movie in like 12 days, um, you know, 35 mil, you know, and, um, I was very happy with that. Um, so that is more like me, dark heart, right? You got dark heart and the method, you know, downward angels in action movie Malibu is not me or whatever. And so th those are the films, um, that really speak to me again about the drama and, I just love the idea of psychology and what makes us tick, you know? So you, you made an interesting comment um, about it reflecting America, uh, but there's some sort of, how, what do you see our role as filmmakers in terms of society, in terms of how we show and what we show in our films? Cause you say, you know, it's, Got a teen A movie, it's not you, etc. But what oh, I'm struggling to find, to find the expresses. Oh, yeah. How do you see? Well, you know, we're all storytellers. Um, and I also think that, you know, you have a duty to, as a storyteller to you again, when we talk about write what you know, right? So I can make a movie and it could be just my point of view, and there's other points of view, right? But that's mine, that's what I know. Um, I think that, you know, we filmmakers do have, a, a, they, I mean, you can't just go willy nilly and do whatever you want or whatever, you know, again, but then you have a movie like a clockwork orange, right. Where Kubrick, you know, they totally misunderstood that movie and that movie, they started blaming that film for the violence and things like that. And I guess he was part of it to shut it down. He was one of it to say, you know, wanted it to be um, uh, in the UK, they not to play it, right? And mm. he was getting death threats and things like that. And so, but, you know, Clockwork Orange is one of my favorite films of all time, you know, and I don't blame Clockwork Orange 
on someone watching it and then they're going to go commit mass violence. You know, I think it's a, it's a commentary on violence in society. So you could twist things. Right. Um, but I think the filmmaker always has to come in with a point of view um, because the characters should have a point of view or where's the story going. Right. The character. So the, the filmmaker needs to come with a point of view of like what story they're trying to tell. And I'm not a big fan of hitting you over the head with things, you know, these things to me are subtle. Um, I think that there's a point where I don't want to lecture and preach. That's not me. There might be, there's other great filmmakers that do that. And, you know, that may come off bad lecture and preach. They, that, that's, but it's just the idea of like, there's great filmmakers that come off and they have something to say, Spike Lee, right. But he's a great filmmaker, man. And I love his movies. Um, so, He's and he's great, he's really good at that, you know. Um, but for me, I do like entertaining, right? Mm. But I like kind of sticking the subtext under the entertainment a little bit, you know. Um, so for me, every movie has kind of a theme, even if I'm not sharing it, uh, you know, saying, Oh, you know, Willie's Wonderland, you know, you could say, oh, Willie's Wonderland is just a fun, just crazy movie, whatever, really is just a dumb movie. You know, but really it's about a guy who says, does what he says, right? You know, he, he, he says he's going to clean the place and uh, he does. And what happens is these guys mess with him and things go out of hand and he just wants to clean the place and get his car, you know? So you can look at a lot of different things, but I think, um, I think filmmakers definitely have a responsibility, you know, um, uh, their point of view to get across, you know, um, and yeah, there's a lot of things that are going on. It's never settled. There's always some cause some fight out there right that we have to go um because i think that's that's us humans right we're never satisfied uh we're never content there's got to be some right there's something there that we're pushing and it gets back to why we're here and and and, and what makes us tick so there's something that we're pushing there to, to find out more about ourselves so yeah. that's what filmmaking is about is the human condition in my book every movie right. we watch and, and make it's about Hellraiser, Nightbreed, even that it's, it's, it's the darkness, right? It's, it's, there's so much going on in those kind of movies and they're all well, they're horror movies, but there's horror is up here, right? And what you don't see is what's scarier than what you see in my book, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. Look at cat people and yeah, the, the shadows and yeah. And yeah. That, brilliant. Absolutely. Fabulous. Now, Let's talk about properly talk about Willy's Wonderland. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, is, I watched it today and I, I was blown away by it. I mean, there's lots of things I want to unpick. Um, let's start with how it all came about because it started as a script on Bloodlist. Is that right? Yes. And uh, the writer, Geo Parsons, um, uh, wrote a great script. It was on Bloodlist. And uh, I told you the producer, Jeremy Davis, uh, his, his wife, uh, Jessica, who plays Siren Sarah, by the way, she's fabulous in the movie. And she was in an acting class with Gio and she got the script and took it to Jeremy and they liked it and they optioned it and they worked on it and they brought it to me. And when I saw it, I Nick, I just fell in love with it. You know, I'm a big collector at heart. Like I said, I love comic books. I love action figures. I love 80s vintage. I love Sam Raimi and Evil Dead. I mean, all that stuff makes me tick. And when I read that script, it all came out vintage. And and it's not vintage of like, like well, we have to put on Ghostbuster outfits or whatever. We make our own 80s vibe. And it doesn't take place in the 80s. But that's when I read it, what I, what I want to inject in it, right? And I want to make a fun movie. These times are hard with COVID and things like that. Even when we made the movie before COVID, just it's, it, I think people need an escape a little bit. The older I get, I want more of an escape, you know? So we talked about themes and we talked about, you know, movies I made a dark heart and things like that. I did make dark heart. I don't know if I want to make it again. You know, I'm an older, you know, I'm older now. I've got four kids, like <laughs> life's rough sometimes. Right. <laughs> Like, I don't, you know, even like with the method, I look at it and I'm like, you know, gosh, that's just teen angst, you know, that's this young man angst, but it's great because it's a moment in time and that's how I was and that's how I felt. But you, you evolve, right? You, um, you know, you, you know, evolve or die, sure. you know, I really believe in that and sure. kids really help you evolve, you know? Yeah. yeah. One you thing know. I particularly like, apart from the whole 80s vibe about it and yeah. the, well, the visuals are great. Yeah. How long did it take you to shoot it? I shot in 20 days. Right. Okay. And 
basically, I guess you're more or less one location. Well, you've got the road, yeah. and then you've got the sheriff's office, and then yeah. you've got Willy's Wonderland. Um, did you use studio, or was it a, were you out on location? Yes. Yeah, so the first week we did all the location um, uh, scenes. Interesting. The the first shot was the last shot where uh, he hands her the punch pop, um, and then then the the last the other three weeks was all in indoor location uh, soundstage. So we built right. that. The, the soundstage was like size of a football field. We had all the we had the bathroom and Siren Sarah's uh, play uh, play place and uh, Tito's and all of it. It was just uh, Fairy Forest, all of it. So we built everything there. Um, so yeah. Right. Right, 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 right. So, um, obvious question: What was Nicholas Cage like to work with? Oh, he was fantastic. I mean, he loved the movie. He he and I saw eye to eye on it the whole time. Um, what a great partner, filmmaker, friend. I mean, he's just he gives one hundred ten percent. You know, he was never a guy that was in his trailer or whatever. He was there at the camera when we had to do a punch pop scene. He was there holding the the punch pop there. You know, I mean, he's just fantastic. Yeah, I, I, have to, I mean, there are so many great images in this. So we'll talk about images, and then I want to talk about editing. But images in terms of, yeah. like, doing his nails with what appears to be sandpaper. <laughs> Was that in the scripts? No. So, no. Um, so we wanted to do something because I wanted to show how – how OCD this guy was, right? And things like that. So I remember telling the prop guy, hey, can you show me what you, what props you got? And he gave me like 15 of them. So we brought it over to Nick. And I said, Nick, what do you think? And he said, sandpaper. I said, great, you know, so let's do that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to break it up because he does the drinking and the fin ball and stuff, but we want to do more, you know? So yeah, Nick was <laughs> Nick was amazing, you know? Um, one of my favorite moments in that movie is just, you know, when he would come to set, we'd have the camera set up and you'd hear the clump clump of the boots coming, you know? And it's like, man, when he came in to, to, for the action, he manhandled those, those animatronics. I mean, he was, he was there, he was ready to go. It was cool. <laughs> right. I was going to say, because he's not the youngest of men now, but he, no. but he, <laughs> he still got it, man. He's great. Right, know? right, right, right. So, how long did it take to get all the animatronics together? Or I, I mean, you've got guys inside costumes, I guess. For for most of the, is mostly guys inside costumes. Yeah, they are. Yeah, um, except Ozzy was a puppet. Okay, so we had um, someone operating. They were in the green green screen smock, right? They were holding um, Ozzy, um, but uh, every, everybody else was costumes. Um, we started creating the costumes, the animatronic in November. Ken Hall did it, by the way. He's fantastic. He's known to do mascot suits and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, and uh, he did just a great job. Um, so we, we created them in November. And then Ken in November, December, January, and February. And like the mid, we started shooting the first week of February. So the second week of February, we needed the animatronics. So they came that, that weekend. Um, so, yeah. He took some time with it. It was great. So this is February 2020? Yes, it was uh, February 2020. Right. Yeah, yeah just before everything went. Yeah. Nick, we finished, the, we finished shooting February 28th. I was home March 1st. And then LA shut down in like 10 days to two weeks after that. It was shut down. Right, yeah. right. Wow. So uh, the other thing I mentioned was the editing. It's... Yeah incredibly sp i mean the storytelling is is very sparse it is yeah. you just need this little piece of information you've got the story i'm not going to anytime we're now we're on to the, the next yeah. thing was that kind of due to you directing or was that baked into the script to begin with so i i wrote like a 70 page shot list on the movie before we started and um i really adhered to that i think at the end of the day i got about 80 to 85 percent of it you know, um, cause I wanted to create, I knew, you know, going in and it's like, I, I had to shoot the cut. I didn't have the time to go and let's, let's try this out. And this, I had to be very specific. And so we created things like, um, rage cage, you know, that's every time he gets crazy with the animatronics, we would do like this, like 18 frames per second. Like we, we, we would, uh, shake the camera and we would like shine a flashlight in it. So you would get the lens flares, 
you know, wanted to do, you know, originally I had an idea of doing like the punch pop where he drinks the punch pop and the camera flies into him and you see the punch pop go to the heart and the heart, you know, I call it like a Popeye moment, you know, but of course, you know, 20 days in the indie film, don't, I can't, couldn't do that. Um, but I try to break in sequences and try to do them very different from each other. So it's not just the same thing. Oh, here we go. Like everything's shot a little differently. And, um, so yeah, just try to plan it that way. I storyboarded it off the shot list. And like I said, I kept pretty much to the shot list, you know? Right, right, right. But the other film you've already mentioned is The Accursed, which you've just, yeah. you just wrapped in Savannah. Um, again, featuring, um, Meg and uh, Meg Foster, and also uh, Sarah Gray, Sarah Dumont, Mina Savari, uh, Alexis Kemp, and that, sorry, Alexis Knapp. Mm-hmm. What was it like working with such a strong female cast? Oh, man, I loved it. It was, they, they're, those, those ladies are fantastic. You know, I, I grew up, like I said, my dad left when I was three, so I was raised with my mother and my sisters and my grandmother, so it's like, to me, you know, strong females have always been in my life and there, there, there's, you know, nothing stronger than those ladies, man. They're just amazing. Meg is such a class act and just a wonderful person. Um, and she's really good in this movie. Um, they're all good. They're all good. You know? Um, yeah. But Meg's a lovely lady. I've had a joy of meeting her a few times and never worked with her. And when I know one of the things that she is known for is almost, going out of her body when she's doing it when she's acting what is the experience like of working with an actor like that well it's very exciting right because you plan on something but then you know she kind of like you said out of body like things happening like oh my god that i didn't even think of that you know so there's only one meg foster no one could do this part the way she did it right and it's funny because there were some times where a camera was on um, Alexis because uh, she has her scene with her and, um, and then she's doing this stuff and I'm like, whip the can we had to get, I had two cameras. That was great. Cause then I could get the camera on her, but she's so unpredictable and you just want to film it all. You got to get it all right. Because there's just those little moments. There's stuff in the opening sequence in this movie. She does that wasn't even in the script. That's just fantastic. You know um, she just brings her own, energy and soul to it you know um and make make and makes it her own i mean she's just yeah i just i love working with her right 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 and you were filming in savannah uh yeah is that a city that you knew yeah so um savannah i mean i guess it's like one of those haunted capitals in in america it feels like it with the spanish moss and things and we went there, you know, I shot Willie's in Atlanta. And so I knew Georgia pretty well. And we just felt like that was probably the best place to do this, to give the, the location its own character, its own feel, you know? Um, so, and it worked really well in the movie. Right, 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 right. So what else have you got on the books at the moment? So I've got a, well, you know, I, again, talk about genre. I love genre. Um, I'm, I'm mean, really enjoying, you know, making this last film. So this film if Willie's was just a fun kind of, you know, more like, you know, a B movie eighties. This is definitely back to, like I said, the omen and the changeling and those kind of films. And so it's more of a dark heart vibe to this movie. Right. It's pretty intense. It takes itself seriously but I really enjoyed doing it, you know? Um, so I've got a couple more, I got, I've got a project that's kind of like a Willie's Wonderland. Um, I've got a, I've got a really cool script. That's kind of like the thing, um, out in the country, um, that I want to do. Um, so yeah, I've got some pretty good stuff cooking. And sorry, I apologize. I forgot to ask you. So with the accursed, what's the plan for release? Where, where would people be able to see it? It looks like it's coming out this Halloween of 2022. So it's a perfect Halloween movie. Right, right. You've got distribution for that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, awesome. Absolutely awesome. Cool. Okay, well, we're coming towards the end of our time together, um, but I did want to ask you the luggage in the crypt questions. So, I mean, basically the premise is we have this huge pyramid or whatever you like, and, you know, you can take whatever you like. What film would you take with you? One movie. Mm -hmm. 2001. Yeah, it's just that movie to me 
again, like we talked about, it's like, why are we here? You know, what, why, what is the purpose of man? That movie just blows me away. And they can, you can never make that movie now. I mean, if they made that movie now, it'd be Brad Pitt or George Clooney, the voice of Hal. You'd have the star, you'd, you'd have the star child, a big v, v, VFX Marvel-like <laughs> sequence, right? They cut the Dawn of Man sequence out. There'd be no Dawn of Man sequence, you know? I mean, th- that movie is just captured in time. There'll never be a movie like that ever again, you know? So 2001. 2001, yeah. yeah. And when did, yeah. You, when did you first see it? I saw that when I was like 10, I think like 10 years old. And um, I also, I saw it every time I would come out here in LA in the Cinerama Dome. Um, I went and saw it. I saw it at the uh, Arclight. I saw it at the Egyptian movie theater. I saw it every time, you know, anytime 70 millimeter signed me up, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what about, what about a book? So um, one of my favorite books is Catcher in the Rye. I'd probably say Catcher in the Rye. Isn't that a, just a fabulous book? It's probably a cliche. There's so many people. Both my things are 2001 and Catcher in the Rye, but I just, is there going to be another book like Catcher in the Rye ever? No, I don't think so. I don't. Well, just the opening of Catcher, those first few pages, I remember just, just like, I understand this. I so. Right? So, it, it spoke to you here, right? Totally. Yeah. 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 And uh, in popular culture now, it's always recognized as one book that terrorists or serial killers. And I think, no, he's just a teenager. It's a book about a teenager. Going through what teenagers do. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. 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 What about music? What sort of music do you listen to? I mean, I love, well, I love like Brit pop, you know, so I, I could tell you, I love music. Music's one of my favorite things. Uh, so many great, I mean, I'm a huge Prince fan and U2 fan and Peter Gabriel. One out, al- I guess if you talk about an album that I'd have to take, one album that I just adore is the Verve Urban Hymns. I just love that. I love Richard Ashcroft. So I'll just say the Verve Urban Hymns. Okay, cool. And um, what about a favorite food or beverage? Gosh, favorite food or beverage? Well, um, I mean, I definitely like my soda. I, mean, I like Coca-Cola. So that's, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not good for you, uh, but, uh, I do, I do like that. So I'll say a Coke, uh, right. with ice. I'm, I'm very square. I'm, I'm, I don't drink much, you know, I should say Guinness, you know, right. I should say. but, um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, that's, so I like, I like beverage more than food. I always have, I like a little cold drink. You know, it just gets me through the day um, and not, not alcoholic cold drink. Um, but, uh, um, and then, you know, uh, for food, um, gosh, that's a good question too. Um, I mean, a good steak is fantastic, you know? I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's very good. What about a piece of uh, visual art, a painting or sculpture? Oh my gosh. Um, that's a good question too. Um I mean, I love Rothko. Um, uh, gosh, what was there a painting that I would really love? Renoir is amazing. You know, um, oh, there's so many fantastic. Um, well, it's interesting. What, you, you mentioned Mark Rothko. What is it particularly that attracts you to Rothko's? the minimalism and just the the colors, the blends that he does and what you can see in it. it to me, you just see something different every, every time, you know, Jackson Pollock too. Same thing. You know, um, there's so many good ones though. The American flag, right? Oh man. There's so many good ones. Yeah. I mean, Rather than an individual piece of art, I'd probably say just Rothko. I love it all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair Pollock. enough. I love, we'll Pollock we'll... too. I love Pollock too. So, you right. know, Renoir, you know, they're all. Okay, you know, you so right. You, Nick, you see those people, those artists, and it's just like the Beatles when I watch this documentary on Get Back. And you just mm. go, why am I even doing this? Because they're guys that are working out so outside the box right when you watch the beatles and you're like i mean is there any greatest band ever you know so yeah 
Interesting, interesting. But I, I do love this image of a, we'll give you a gallery on one sort side on one wall we have all the Rothkos, on the other we have all the Jackson Pollocks, and then the Renoirs are at the far end. Yeah. I'll take uh, yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. What a, now is there a luxury, something you've kind of mentioned, you know, cold drinks, etc. But is there anything else, just something an item? kind of not covered just that's personal to you that you'd always want to have with you oh, i mean gosh um i mean I'm a, I'm a huge collector um so i i collect from blu-rays and steel books um um yeah i i of, of physical media i collect um uh vinyl i collect like i say action figures and comics so i love all that stuff that stuff really gets me through posters you know, um, if there's one item, and that's a really good question. Um, you know, it's funny. The older I get, I realize, though, like, we can't take it with you, right? So if I said just one item, I mean, it's just really my kids and my wife, the memories of what I've had with them. You know, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I was in the hospital with COVID for like two weeks. I almost died. It was a year ago uh february in uh, february like right before willies came out and um that really set a lot of things straight in my life you know what's important and things like that and uh, i had two blood polyps in my heart and um my oxygen was like 82 percent. it was bad news nick i'm so glad to be here and so glad to make this movie that i i did because i didn't know if i was going to survive it you know wow well yeah. no, I hadn't, i'd not heard about that I, at all yeah. gosh well Wonderful. I, I wrote. I wrote an article. You, if you want, and any listeners want to, you know, to me, I wrote it for if people don't believe in COVID or they think like, just read this article. Um, it's on IndieWire. You can just do Kevin Lewis IndieWire, and it'll come up. But I just, I felt like if I could just change one person's, you know, opinion of this terrible, terrible disease, um, then it would be worth doing. So I, I did that. Yeah, and it's it's a real struggle. I know it's a real struggle over there. It's a real struggle yeah. over here. We have exactly yeah. you know we've had demonstrations, and you just think you're putting this. For some people, it appears yeah. that they're putting this concept of freedom above health, above other people's health, um, and it's so difficult to talk to that mindset. So I, I look forward to reading this article with interest yeah. because yeah. 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 Wonderful. Well, that's an extraordinary note. I didn't expect us to end on that note this evening, but that's uh, that's great. It's a great note because I beat it and I'm here and I made another movie after it. So it's awesome. And you can too. Anybody that's listening to this has suffered through this or, feel, you know, uh, you, you know, the power of the mind, the power of the heart, the will. I willed to, to live, man. I yeah. did. I did not want to give up. I, I did everything I was told to do, proning and everything else. Um I just fought and I fought hard and I'm here. So you can too. Right. Wonderful. Kevin, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Nick. Great thank time. Thank you. Take care. My thanks again to Kevin Lewis. What a fascinating chat that was. And if you'd like to read that article about surviving COVID, just check the link in the description on either YouTube or your podcast platform. We return on January the 13th when I'll have another guest from the world of horror, thriller and suspense. And in the meantime, enjoy your Christmas or New Year celebration or whatever you're celebrating. And seriously, stay safe and well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Tea Time Productions.